0: Hey everybody, this is Sensei Anthony coming to you with another episode of the Karate Chronicles. I'm rolling and recording on Tuesday, May the 21st. And what I want to talk about today is kind of coming from a place of ignorance. Not my own, of course. (laughs) It's coming from a place of ignorance for people that don't know much about karate or people that have dismissed karate as an effective art form because they're either uh, a mixed martial arts enthusiast practitioner and I hate to say I get this often from a Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructor and here's the thing people have this odd notion and it was not debunked, but it was addressed in the early Ultimate Fighting Championship days when they said the only rules are that you cannot eye gouge or bite. And I think fish hooking was included in that. For people that don't know, fish hooking is when you take two or more fingers, usually two, and stick them into the mouth and rip at someone's inside cheek. And even those were considered kind of gentleman's rules. You were fined if you did it, not disqualified. So, A lot of charlatan martial artists from the striking world would say stuff like, Well, I may have lost that boxer, but if I could have done my deadly techniques or my secret techniques, whatever, the outcome would have been different. Now, here's the thing. The martial arts striking arsenal is not just about when you're in trouble or in a self-defense situation, poking someone in the eyes by kicking them in the groin. Now those certainly can be effective techniques. And they've proven that over the centuries. But the one thing I ask striking artists and I've been asked a number of times by, like I said, aforementioned Brazilian Jiu Jitsu instructors and mixed martial arts enthusiasts is that, well, how do you know if that stuff works? These so called deadly techniques. And I say, the same way I know my other stuff works, fool, I practice it. And then they go, Oh wait, you practice gouging out the eyes and kicking into the groin and all that. If you did that, you wouldn't have any training partners. And then I say, No, stupid, I do practice those things. It's just that we use protective gear and we do it in a very creative way. For example, if I'm in if, if someone tackles me and I put them in my guard to figure out what I'm going to do next. Most people who are unskilled will try to raise up and start throwing punches. Now, people even with their rudimentary understanding of the guard know that it is relatively easy to unbalance someone. If they try to just stand up. That's not a big deal. But for me... After I control the head... And make sure that they're not in a position to headbutt me... Something which by the way... I was taught in the old school jiu-jitsu... By... Royce um, Gracie and the like. After I secure the head... So that it's not in a place to headbutt me... I'm always amazed at how easily a person that's susceptible to having their eyes raked or being craned beaked in the eye or being spear-handed in the eye being panther-fisted in the eye all these things are available and in the old days of martial arts excuse me, in the old days of mixed martial arts competitions the reason that people did not use those techniques is one, most of those guys were just charlatans. They were part-time fighters. And they were part-time practitioners at best. And they didn't even know what they were in for against a grappler. Not just a grappler, a grappler, the skill level of Hoyce Gracie, Ken Shamrock, etc. They'd never been in competitions like that before. So, when I mention practicing The deadly techniques, as it were, or the lethal strikes and all this kind of stuff—it's easy to do. I'm not saying you have to go full power when you do it. I'm not recommending that you go full power when you do it. What I'm saying is, as a way to practice these techniques without injuring your partner. Now, you may be thinking, eye gouges and stuff. What do you wear? A like motorcycle helmet, or do you wear some kind of helmet like that? No. But what I do, and what I teach, is that when you're practicing something like a spear hand or a crane's beak or anything like that, the person that you're doing it to is wearing swimming goggles. If the person has gigantic like scuba gear, that's too non-specific. It teaches you to strike somewhere near the face but you don't have any practice, I'm sorry, somewhere near the eyes, but you don't have any real experience practicing striking at something as small as the eyes. So, if you're wearing swimmer's goggles, you absolutely can practice using that spear hand, using that panther's fist, using that crane's beak, right into the eyes because the goggles themselves are only made to cover your eyes, not your whole face, practically, the way a scuba mask or a snorkelers mask will. So, that's how I address that. I practice striking the eyes by using something that protects the eyes, the eyes alone, and going there. When I talk about practicing spear hands to the eyes, I think about sharpening my jab as much as possible, and then I think about the additional five inches that my hand gives me when striking into the eyes, because that's what it is I want to do. That's something that I want to practice. And if you're practicing with the moving target, you start with something the size of a racquetball or a racquetball itself. You practice moving and striking that thing while the person's slowly moving it away from you. And then more quickly as you get more experience. And then when you get more experience with that racquetball, you move down to a ping pong ball. There are ways to practice the spear hand in a way that's not going to injure or maim your partner you just have to be creative when i think about shins and to the groin and all this kind of stuff you don't just wear a steel muay thai style cup you wear that with padding on both sides that it doesn't hurt you or the person that you're striking and again i'm not recommending that you go all nuts (laughs) no pun intended or balls to the wall, sorry, I couldn't resist that one, when you're practicing, you just have to be able to know that consistently you can strike that area from a variety of positions, standing and on the ground. When I'm on the ground, I personally think that the butterfly guard, where you have your feet on your opponent's hips, is the most practical use of a street fighting guard because you want to get up off the ground as quickly as possible in almost every single scenario that I can think of if you're trying to use what's called an elevator sweep. And I don't feel like trying to explain that to you right now. So, go to UFC 5, watch Bullet Taktara versus Ernest Verdicia. And the way that he swept Ernest Verdicia is called an elevator sweep. Anyway, if you're using that, but you've got your shin not on the inside of your opponent's thigh, but on his groin. You'll be able to practice a short strike with the shin and then using your shin as a weapon as you perform the sweep. These are all very doable things. It's just that you have to be creative. You just can't be satisfied with thinking inside of a certain framework, especially if you're talking about self-defense as opposed to a fight or just a competition. When people ask me how I practice palming the ear, it's easily done. I practice striking near somebody who's wearing a wrestling style headgear. Again, I'm not trying to smash his head, but I'm certainly striking with enough force to make a point. And more importantly, you strike with enough accuracy, excuse me, enough force to know that there is impact involved in those strikes. You practice with enough accuracy to know that even if your opponent isn't standing there with his head up, that you can strike that target, the ears, the temple, whatever the case may be. And when you do that, you start to see how techniques in choi foot, like the sao choi, bean choi, or the chop choi, and this is um, specialties from the Buxing Sing choi le foot variety, Um, most popularized in the modern era by Sifu Dave Lacey. When you start to think about using techniques like that, you know that you just have to drill them, and they become extremely, extremely effective and extremely practical. When you practice that, you start to realize how techniques like the ridge hand to the temple, how the palm heel to the temple, how the hammer fist to the temple how spinning backfits, how all these things become a lot more practical. They become a lot more reasonable because you practice using those techniques. So, again, in response to how do you practice, or how do you know these dirty techniques work, because I use them. Period. I practice with them. A lot of martial arts practitioners have a lot of hyperbole, a lot of flowery talk about how a technique would work if they were to use it. And my first thing that comes to my mind is, well, do you practice with it? If the answer is no, then I dismiss to a large degree what they say after that. Because something being simple and something being easy are not the same thing. Wrestling consists of, do not let the other person put you on your back. Baseball consists of all you have to do is hit that round ball with this round bat. Basketball consists of all you have to do is throw this ball into that hole. Those are extremely simple objectives. But given circumstances, they can become extremely difficult. So if you're talking about something as important as self-defense, and you're not training all the techniques that will give you an advantage over an opponent who you presume to be bigger, stronger, faster, heavier. Man, you're not going to be able to use them when it matters. As much as some people love, um, let's use let's use karate for an example. If a woman I'm teaching. And I'm using women for context. Don't get your draws all in or knot. If you're teaching a 5 foot 2 inch. 109 pound woman to defend herself. I'm 6 feet. I'm 200 pounds. If she just punches me in the face. Or even kicks me in the body. Unless she lands a stunningly accurate strike. Or catches me off guard or something like that. She's not going to drop me in one punch. And the one thing that a predator usually has over the person that they think they're going to prey on. Is ferocity. And they also choose the environment in which the event occurs. I'm not going to teach a woman who's skilled in Kenpo Karate. To trade punches with a man 10 inches taller than she is and a hundred pounds heavier, what I will do is train them to sharpen their skills so much that if they can land a jab to the face, then they can land a spear hand into the eye or a tiger's mouth into the throat or a cat's paw into the groin or anything that can equalize a self-defense situation. And if you don't believe that that's the best way to go, then I would really love to have a subsequent discussion with you about how you think that not practicing those techniques is a good idea. The one thing that grappling techniques have as a major advantage or as a major upside, is that when you know how to do it, a five-year-old can break your arm with an arm lock. A small child can choke you unconscious because toughness, size, and strength don't build significant strength in the joint that you're attacking. And they certainly don't allow you to build strength in your carotid arteries to the point that would preclude you from being choked unconscious. And in the same way that you have to learn to attack certain parts of the body in certain ways, if you're talking about a striking arsenal, you need to be talking about twisting tigers and crane's beak to the eyes and things like that, that matter no matter how big the opponent. Mike Tyson, was a ferocious boxer. But you saw what a headbutt did to him in his fights with Evander Holyfield. And those were intentional to be sure, but they were blatantly thrown with full power because that would have been obvious. If you don't think that a headbutt to the cheek will absolutely ruin your day, or if you don't think that a cat's paw across the eyes will really, really, really make you rethink what you were doing, then that's just because you don't have a grasp of how those techniques can be extremely devastating. If you're not entirely sure about how effective a technique to the eyes is, this is what I recommend you do. Take a towel, small towel, not a super thick towel, not a gigantic towel, a towel. Have someone come behind you And when your eyes are closed, allow them to rub that towel across the front of your face. Now, even though you know it's coming, even though your eyes are closed, I guarantee guarantee that you will respond in a way that will make you a believer in the efficacy of those techniques. That's just how it works. There's no magic involved. But you've got to practice these techniques. You've got to practice these moves if you expect to be able to use them in a way and in a time that matter. So, long story longer, rather than continue to kick the proverbial dead horse, I'm going to say this to you, and I know this to be true. I know that my quote unquote deadly techniques work because I use them in training. And I can't think of a single thing that a person can use in a real situation that they haven't practiced outside of lottery winner's luck kind of thing, which you never count on when your life is on the line. So please, I urge you to practice the quote unquote deadly techniques. There are ways to do it. There are ways to make it practical. There are ways to make it fun. And if you don't know those ways, I'm not going to dog you. I'm going to help you. So if you have any questions about these techniques and how they work, ask good old Anthony. Sensei Thomas has got you covered. So, ask me here or text me or... Email me on martialartsoakland.com, and I would be glad to help you. That's it, and that's all for this particular episode. Have a fantastic evening, and by far the most important thing, please be kind to yourselves and each other.